Well, good morning once again, everyone, to One Life Community Church. I'm just taking my shoes off. Uh, some of you were here two weeks ago and heard I had a injury, and uh, I will report that it's getting better. I'm going to say that. What is getting better, I don't know. No one's told me what it is. They keep telling me different things, and it's confusing. But all that to say is I can stand in longer periods of time without my shoes on. And I assure you that I showered and I have clean socks on. So those of you who are up front, you're safe. Uh, my name is Rich. I may have said that. I'm the co-lead pastor here along with Greg, the man who was serving you communion with his big red beard. And I have to say, uh, <clears throat> it is, uh, I say this every time that it's a pleasure to be with you, but um, it, it really is uh, an honor. As we begin, I want to point out in your bulletin... Um, on the inside right, there's a blank space there, and that is used for you to jot down questions, ideas, thoughts you might have, if you need to draw pictures, whatever you need to do to process this morning's teaching, that is there. We are in the final week of a four-week sermon series that we called One Another, and in it we have been looking at various scriptures that inform us on how we can be examples of Christ in how we treat others and how we live out our day-to-day lives. I don't know how it has been for you, but to me it has been timely and powerful. And over and over again, each week we've heard people say how applicable this has been in the midst of all that's going on in our world today. But what's really interesting that you may not know and that I find amazing is that Greg and I and the staff planned these sermons out way back in the fall. This isn't something that came to us recently in light of what's going on. I actually believe the Holy Spirit led us to do these particular four sermons at this particular time. And I don't know if you know this, but just coming up with these four sermons, we looked at and prayed about all the one another texts in the Bible. And one another is two words in English, but in the Greek it's one, and it's used a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses. Forty-seven of those are giving instructions to the church. Sixty percent of those are instructions given from Paul. And some other fun facts about the one another text include one-third of the one another commands deal with unity in the church. This includes one of my favorite passages that for some reason did not make the cut from Galatians 5.15. It says this, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other or consumed, depending on your translation. You don't want to be consumed. I think that's a helpful thing. For us, we shouldn't be biting each other, consuming one another. That's good advice, but that didn't make the cut. A third of the instructions um, are about loving one another in various forms. Uh, 15% of these stress an attitude of humility and respect with those who differ from you. Four of the one another commands are about kissing, uh, which is always good to know. It's important to note that none of them describe kissing as sloppy, wet, or unforeseen, contrary to how a song may have written. Just, just saying. <clears throat> All this to say is that there uh, was a lot of prayer and discernment coming into play for these sermons, and I believe these four were truly led for us today from the Holy Spirit. Now, quick review. What have we covered? We started this series looking at what it means to think of others more important than ourselves, looking at the example of Christ found in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interest of others. Now that right there is enough, right? This way of thinking and seeing is very countercultural. It goes against everything about our get-ahead, everyone-for-themselves, me-me-me world that we live in. And then we spent time looking at the full meaning of what it means to forgive one another. And in it, we saw that there are two meanings of forgiveness in the scriptures that we're called to live out. One is this unconditional, unilateral release of a debt. That this was seen in the work of Christ on the cross for the sins of humanity, past, present, future, whether we asked for it or not. That when someone wrongs us, we are to release them from that debt in the same way. And contrary to what we might think, that withholding forgiveness in this way with this kind of you-owe-me attitude doesn't give us power or worth. It actually only hurts us, not the person who wronged us. And we end up carrying this debt, and it creates in us anger and bitterness and rage and more. And we learn that this is only one part of forgiveness, that just because the debt has been released unconditionally, it doesn't mean that the relationship has been restored or forgiven or reconciled, which is a good word. The releasing of the debt helps us to be free from the hold the wrongdoing has done. But the second part of forgiveness requires all of those people involved to own their own stuff. It's about the work of removing any relational obstacles that get in the way of the relationship. And sadly, sometimes this can't happen because although you might be willing to do so, the other person in the party may not. And this is why we have many in our world that although the work of Christ on the cross took care of the sin death for everyone, not everyone's reconciled to God because they have no desire to deal with the obstacles that are in the way of having a relationship with Christ. They simply aren't willing to own their own stuff. Last week, Greg led us through a great teaching on what it means to be hospitable to one another. The practice of making space for others, for the stranger, and how there are risks involved, and that we don't have to do this, or we shouldn't be doing this, with the idea that we're necessarily going to get anything in return. Now, I don't know about you, just listing those three and reviewing those, we covered a lot, and it's hard and good. And if you missed any, I encourage you to go back and listen to them, because as we continue to be processing what it means to be outward focused with our faith and our practices, These are critical things to put into our faith practice because they apply to every relationship we have. Now today, as we close out this series, we come to yet another timely and powerful call as followers of Christ, and that is the call to bear one another's burdens. And this one's going to get personal real quick because some of us in this room desperately need somebody to do this right now. And for others, there's... We know people who need this, and we have, for whatever reason, avoided doing so. And this came up even as a movement of the Spirit in our worship time. A lot of our songs were about being bold and clapping and standing and these kinds of things. But there's some of us in here that cannot do it. We are overwhelmed right now. What does it mean to bear another's burdens? So the text we're going to be looking at today is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there and follow along, and if not... Uh, No worries, it'll be displayed behind me. But before we do anything, let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we ask that you would be with us. As you have uh, shown yourself to be present in our worship, in our taking communion, in our prayer, in our 
times to connect with one another. Now we ask you to be with us and lead us and to teach us, to encourage us and challenge us. Help us to hear from you, Lord. Help us to know how to put these things into practice and represent you in our culture, in our community, in our family, in our friends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get to the text, uh, right before this chapter, Galatians chapter 5, Paul, the author of Galatians, has contrasted the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, concluding that followers of Christ are to be led by the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit. And what does this mean, right? What is it? Life characterized by this list of the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all these other virtues, they're very abstract. What does that mean? Well, chapter 6 that we're about to look at answers this with super down-to-earth examples that we see in everyday life. And they all have to do with relationships. And what he's saying it from the very beginning is that it's really easy to talk about the fruits of the Spirit while never allowing them to manifest themselves in our daily life. And Paul wants us to learn that it's in the concrete situations rather than the emotional highs that the reality of the Holy Spirit in one's life is demonstrated. So let's see what Paul says. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Galatians. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual or live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted carry or bear each other's burdens, and in the same way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry or bear their own load or burdens. So, what does it look like to keep in step with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. Paul answers this question by imagining a hypothetical situation, which is not all that rare at all. We have someone unexpectedly learns that another is trapped in a sin struggle. The word trapped does not refer to being caught like we might think of like a bear trap, like I'm all of a sudden walking and then kabam. Rather, it means to be overcome by something, to be overwhelmed by something. So what do we do when this situation happens? We find someone who is all of a sudden, out of nowhere, realizing they are being overwhelmed by this struggle. What should we do? Are we to overlook the sin? Does love mean that we are to refuse to face the facts? Or should we expose the sin openly so to gain for ourselves a reputation of maybe a superior holiness? Paul shows that the spirit-led person should not proceed in any of these ways, and he presents to us a course of action. He says what to do, who should do it, and how it should be done, which is important for us to understand. First, Paul shows what should be done. And he says that followers of Christ are to restore the person who has fallen. And that verb, restore, katarizo, is a medical term used in the Greek for setting a fractured bone. Now, if I was Greg, I would have a whole bunch of pictures of these wickedly dismembered bones that are not in the right place. So I'll spare you on that. You're welcome. Um, but 
but they're very painful because the problem with a dislocated bone is that they're not where they're designed to be. Their natural relationship to the body is not there anymore. And so what's wrong in this person's life needs to be set straight, to be restored to where it's designed to be. It's not a feel-good process, but the place where it needs to be is connected to the body in step with the spirit. And to be clear, it doesn't say anything about neglecting the sin or the struggle, and it doesn't say anything about exposing it openly. Second, Paul says that the work of restoring must be done by those who are spiritual, who are lived by the Spirit. And this word spiritual cuts in two ways, and I'm going to nerd out a little bit because we're going to talk about context and linguistics. Contextually, Paul repeatedly speaks of Galatian believers in relationship to God's Spirit nine times up to this point. And what we see is that all believers are quote-unquote spiritual, according to Paul, in the sense that all believers are possessed by and in possession of the Spirit of God. So spiritual here does not mean super spiritual, uber spiritual. It doesn't mean they have like the super spiritual S on their stuff, right? They're just spiritual because they are possessed by and in possession of the Spirit. Now, linguistically, the term spiritual utilizes what is called, this is where it gets nerdy, a demonstrative adjective form of the term spirit. And what that means is that it's designating a source, an affiliation. So in other words, linguistically, all believers are spiritual by virtue of the fact that all believers are of the spirit. Their source is from God and the Holy Spirit. So Paul's call to restore the burden then is directed to everyone in the church as all are believers to be in Christ and thus all are presumed to be recipients of God's spirit. So in simple terms, spiritual people, as this text says, are just simply ordinary people relying on the extraordinary spirit that produces these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the very fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. And Paul, by reminding the Galatians of their identity in Christ, is now holding them accountable to live up to this, which is a really good reminder for all of us, because we are called to live up to this as well. And one last thing to note is that Paul's comments here are directed towards the spiritual those who are living by the Spirit. It's not focused on the person who's struggling. It's not focused on the sin. In other words, the focus is on how we ought to live and love others, not on the sin itself or the struggle itself, which I love. Now, Paul says the restoration should be made gently. It's the same word that Paul uses in the list of spiritual gifts in Galatians 5.22, gentleness. And he does this with the awareness that none, no matter how spiritual you are, have immunity from temptation and that all can fall at any time. Hopefully we all know this, right? John Stott, in uh, his commentary on this, wrote this, which I thought was good. It says, if we walked by the Spirit, we would love one another more. And if we loved one another more, my slide would go back to the right spot. If we loved one another more, we would bear one another's burdens. And if we bore one another's burdens, we would not shrink from seeking to restore someone that has fallen into the trap of sin. 
Further, if we obeyed the apostolic instruction as we should, much unkind gossip would be avoided, more serious backsliding prevented, the good of the church advanced, and the name of Christ glorified. Man. That's a quote. Now, Paul then goes further and gets more practical and says, what does this look like in relationship? He says, this looks like bearing one another's burdens. This term bearing is the word bastazo, and it comes up four times in Paul's letter to Galatians. Here in chapter 6, verse 2, it says, bear each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. In chapter 5, verse 10, it's the Judaizer who is to bear this judgment. In chapter 6, verse 5, the follower of Christ is to bear their own load or their burden. And at the very end of chapter 6, verse 17, Paul speaks of bearing the marks of Jesus Christ on his body. Now here, in chapter 6, verse 2, this reference is about helping others. It's about sharing another person's load. Whenever temptations oppress someone... Or life itself depresses someone. This is a picture of someone who's overtaken, overwhelmed, burdened to where they cannot carry this on their own. Now, I'm just going to pause and say, do you know anyone in this situation? It might be you. Here Paul returns quite deliberately to the thought of love as seen in action as the fulfillment of the law of Christ. This is, in other words, an example of putting into everyday practice what Jesus meant when he said in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The entire law is summed up in the single command to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of Christ that he's referring to. Why? Well, because Christ is the ultimate and unsurpassable example of this kind of love. We are to love others as Christ loved us. And although the whole Old Testament law could be summed up in the command to love, it's Christ's life and death that is the supreme embodiment of what love looks like. Another theologian put it this way, which I like. Through faith, God supplies the spirit of Christ. Through the spirit, we produce the fruit of love. And through love, we fulfill the law of Christ. This law of Christ, we cannot do without the spirit. So it's good to pause. Let's be honest for a minute. How often... Do we actually see others as more important than ourselves? How often do we seek to experience full forgiveness with others and actually own our own mistakes? How often do we risk making space for the stranger in order to show hospitality? And today, how often do we see others who are overcome by something that's more than they can bear, and we actually come alongside and bear that burden with them. These are really powerful, day-to-day, real-life experience of what love looks like in action. And to be very clear, these are utterly relational. You can't help with a burden unless you come very close to the burdened person. 
standing virtually in their shoes and putting your own strength under the burden so its weight is distributed on both of you, lightening the load for the other. So in the same way, a Christian must listen and understand and physically, emotionally, spiritually take up some of the burden with this other person. How often do we do this? I mean, it's hard enough to do in your, a marriage or with a sibling or with your friend. How often do we do this with people out of those spheres? Now, what I think is really interesting is that Paul not only gives us this example to follow, he shares with us two reasons as why we tend not to do this, which is always helpful. Why don't we do this? Well, the first thing he says is conceit, which is basically thinking one is more important than they are. Anybody do that? This is something we all struggle with. The implication is that we often neglect to bear another's burdens or worse, we refuse to bear them because we think we're above it. But the scripture says we are self-deceived because when we are measured by God's standard, which is the real standard, we're all in the same plane here and we don't measure up to God, right? Another way the scripture says this in a more positive form of language, Romans 12, 3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, the second thing that might keep a follower of Christ from bearing the burdens of another, and this one also gets personal, is how we always compare ourselves and our own work with others. We compare ourselves in our own work to others. And this can harm us in both a positive and negative way. It can show itself in two forms. In a positive sense, it's us saying, you know what? I'm doing way better than they are, which is basically right, a comparison that kicks into the pride and the conceit that Paul just warned us of. The flip side, the negative side, is I'm unable to do anything. I can't get anything right. Everyone else is doing way better than me. And you can see how we can easily go into one of those or the other and how that can restrict us from coming alongside. And Paul gives us a, a suggestion as to how we can counter these things. And he suggests this, which is interesting, that every believer has a task from the Lord and is responsible only to the Lord for doing it. And that to use others as a norm to compare is a kind of escape or an excuse. And Paul says that every one of us has been called and designed by God for each of us to do this whatever thing. And it's for God, it's from God, designed by God for each of us to do for the sake of the gospel. That when followers of Christ have their eyes fixed on God rather than others as their example, then we will better understand who we are, what we should be doing, and God receives the glory. In other words, Paul says that every follower of Christ is to carry or bear others' burdens, and we are to carry and bear our own burden load. Now, I don't know about you. I need a tissue. Uh, but that sounds like a contradiction. How are we supposed to bear our own burdens 
and bear somebody else's burdens at the same time. Well, the words translated burden in verse 2 and chapter 5 are actually two different words, which is really interesting. The first word, chapter 6, 2, is the word bare, which means heavy, overwhelming burdens. These are those that no one could handle on their own. The word in chapter 6, verse 5, is a different word. It's a common term used for basically a small backpack. And the term here that we should be thinking about is like our, our daily necessities. Think of it as your keys and your wallet and your phone. You carry these every day, and most of the time you don't even think about it. They are not overwhelming in any way. They are the things you need to bury to carry each day. This is a photo um, from an Instagram thing I follow called Everyday Carry. And it's basically what people post as their minimalistic kind of, this is all I need kind of thing. Now, I picked a non-Texas one, which would typically have at least like three guns in it. Um, but, uh, but this is an example, right? This is all I need. And, it, and when I have these in me, I don't even really think about it. I go through my day with these. So in this case, what is meant is that every follower of Christ has a call, has a story, a small backpack, literally of their own, that is theirs to carry. And what we carry is from God and is not to be compared to anyone else, and it's not overwhelming at all. Your story and what makes you who you are is yours and yours alone, and it's from God with a purpose. And God will use you and all that you are carrying in Christ to help you bear with one another as the opportunities come to you. And when you do this, you are living out what it means to love God and to love your neighbor. Now, as we close, uh, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I want to close this up with an exercise. In your bulletin, there's a piece of paper there. It's this assessment tool that some of you may have already filled out. And if so, that's fine. Um, But this tool is designed to help us start the process of doing what we've been talking about in this series. Namely, thinking of others before ourselves, seeking forgiveness and relational reconciliation, showing hospitality by making space for others, and this last one of coming alongside others to bear burdens to those who are overwhelmed. So what's going to happen is, I would like for you to take out that piece of paper, and I'm going to play a song for you. And the song is all about bearing one another's burdens. It's about four minutes long, and while it's playing, I'd like you to take a few moments to try to fill out as much as you can of this tool. And basically what it asks for you to do is think of your relational spheres, your family, your friends, your workplace, your neighbors, you name it. Think of a person in those categories, put their name down, something that they struggle with, they may be carrying, that may be overwhelming or difficult, and then come up with one way that you might be able to come alongside to serve, to love, to bear that with them. Okay? There's no right or wrong answers. You don't have to fill out every single category. It's simply a way for us to be thinking more outward and to come up with tangible, practical ways to put these into practice. So what I'd like you to do is do that for a few moments. When the song is done, I'll close this with a couple final thoughts, give a couple connection card questions, and pray for us, and we'll sing a song together. Um, If you filled this out already, feel free just to listen. The lyrics will be up as well. But what I want you to do is, if you haven't filled this out before, don't be worried about reading the, the words. 
okay? You can just let it listen, and we'll go from there. So go ahead and start that. I'll start the song, and we'll go from there.
time, that's fine. That song um, was written by one of my best friends I've known since fourth grade. And the backstory to this song is that my friend Aaron, his brother-in-law, was diagnosed at a very young age with rare form of brain cancer. He was married with kids, going through all the treatments, the surgeries, the poking and the prodding to deal with this. And in the midst of that, his brother-in-law had kept this very detailed journal. And he later gave the journal to my friend Aaron and commissioned him to make an album documenting the entire process, from first going to the doctor and even finding out that there was anything like this going on, let alone finding that he could die. The shock of that and all the emotional struggles that go with the up and down of battling for healing and wanting to give up. And pretty much all the lyrics of the song come straight from this journal. And so this song was one of those songs that came from it talking about what it looks like to bear one another's burdens in the context of overwhelming physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual pain due to battling brain cancer. The album was later produced so that it could help raise money for cancer research as well. It's an amazing picture of what it might be like in our everyday life to bear another one's burden. And it applies to all examples. It's not just big ones like cancer, things that are absolutely tragic. Right? It could be as simple as my son being overwhelmed with his homework load. He's eight. Right? How overwhelming is that? Right? But sometimes bearing his burden is simply sitting with him while he does it so he's not alone. Or just helping him think through his work. Maybe it's helping my neighbor deal with the overwhelming amount of dandelions in their yard because as a single man in his early 60s taking care of his mom who's 96 years old and working full-time, this can be overwhelming for him. Maybe it's as simple as helping someone with the physical load of carrying something like their groceries to their car. Or that new person who doesn't know anyone that's moving into that house down the street, what if you offered to help them move their boxes or you offered them a meal? Or maybe it'll come through something like serving through HIP, the Hunger Intervention Program, that that helps people who are overwhelmed in ways that make it hard for them to feed their family. Or maybe like we talked about before with worship, and you're in that place, and it's hard for you to stand, it's hard for you to feel bold, maybe it's just someone coming alongside and saying, your presence here is still important. I see you. Even if you can't stand, I'm here with you. I can worship with you. You're important to this place. And more than that, what might it look like for us to bear the burdens, not just of individual people, but of our community, of our neighborhood, That's what our dinner church plant is attempting to do. There's needs. There's overwhelming needs. How could we come alongside and bear that, not just with people, but with our community? I hope that you see how powerful this can be, and I hope that you feel invited 
to creatively think about your unique story, the things that you're carrying that are yours alone in your relational sphere and how God might be calling you to come alongside somebody else, to bear that burden with them for the glory of God. And I hope that you feel invited to creatively think about others above yourself, to help reconcile relationships, to make space for people, to show hospitality, because what we're hearing is this is how we love like Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and I'm actually going to invite the prayer team as well. Um, If they would come forward, and if you would pull out your connection card, please, that would be fantastic. I have two questions for you. They're simple. Um, The first question is, um, on the back of that, there's a section that you could write your answers to. Uh, Question number one. Of the people on that assessment tool that you just worked on, What's one person you feel most called to come alongside in order to bear their burdens? Just their name. Doesn't matter if I know who they are, just their name. Number two, of the two ways that tend to get in the way of us bearing others' burdens, which do you find you struggle with most? The issue of conceit or just the struggle with comparisons? And you could just write one or the other word. As we go today, what I'd love to have you do is... Submit that form along with your connection card. Um, As a staff, we pray through these, and I would love to be praying through all of these. I would love to hear stories of how these names on these sheets of paper are being uh, showed the love of Christ in action. Um, So if you would do that, that would be fantastic. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer, and then um, the worship team will lead us in one last song. I want to remind you again, this Wednesday... We enter into the Lenten season, and it's not an easy season, Um, but I invite you to come from 8 to 10 a.m. or 2 to 9 p.m. just to process the beginning of this season and what it might look like for us to walk together in that. So let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you that in our relationship with you, we have experienced what it's like for someone to think of us beyond themselves. You did that for us. You made space for us and showed us hospitality. God, you did all the work of forgiveness for us, past, present, future. And God, you bore our burdens. You have set us free. And God, we just ask that you would help us not just to experience those from you in personal ways, but that we would be men and women who desire to live out these realities in our relationships with others. That others in our workplace, in our families, in our communities, in our schools, um, would experience the love of Christ through us, through your spirit working through us. God, help us to bear the things that you call us to carry and help us to see those around us who need someone to come alongside. And God, help us to put aside conceit. Help us to avoid those comparisons. To just come alongside. To walk together with us.